Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. The New Statesman. Hi, I'm Anoush. I'm Freddie. I'm Andrew. And on today's episode of the New Statesman podcast, we reflect on party conference season and you ask us, is Keir Starmer moving back to the left? Hello, you two. Congratulations on surviving conference season. I only did Labour conference, so I'm a lightweight, but how are you two feeling? Absolutely knackered. <laughs> yeah, very tired. I've been resorting to sleep in the afternoon and trying to get back on my feet. Yeah, we'll get there. You both look quite perky to me, I'd say. I the lighting, it's the lighting. Yeah. I didn't drink this time, but I'm an old git, and even without drink, I was wow. getting too tired. That's and the impressive. voices, all those parties, yeah. everyone shouting at each other, yeah. crammed rooms with slightly too many people for the available amount of oxygen. <laughs> All right, so what do you make of... Let's talk about Conservative Party Conference first, because you've just come from there. I think the Conservative Party Conference, in terms of unity, sense of purpose, sense that they're going to be in power for a long time, was the worst I have ever seen of any party. It was really grim for the Tories. The number of people in the bars and in the sort of corridors and so forth talking as if they were sure they were going into opposition. Now, they're facing opinion polls, some of them putting Labour 33 points ahead, so it's not surprising. Mm. But that has really got under the skin of Tory MPs who think that their careers are over. Mm. And that then sparked all the conversations about would there be a coup? Would she uh, turn policy? A lot of senior Conservatives at Congress went in to see the new Prime Minister and said, I've only said Theresa May, the new Prime Minister... (laughs) and said, look, this 45p thing is killing us, you have to reverse it. And she apparently just looked up, didn't say anything at all, really. And But clearly was listening. That took a little bit of the poison out, but it was a really tough conference. Her speech was not a disaster at the end. Low bar, but mm. she passed it. Yeah, I think it was, in some respects, the beginning of the end of Liz Truss, because the disunity was so widespread. We had MPs, cabinet ministers contradicting each other hour by hour, that there was no sense of unity or discipline. And that's a massive problem for a prime minister. You've got to remember that they have to rely on a majority in the House of Commons. They have to be able to get through legislation through. And as soon as that authority dissipates, then you have to start questioning their position. Yes, because how is she going to do this move fast and break things attitude? You know, lift the fracking ban, overhaul planning legislation, all of these quite radical things she wants to do that a lot of Conservative MPs are worried about. Can she actually do any of that? So we shouldn't make predictions generally, but for sure she's not going to get fracking through. For Mm. sure she's not going to get the radical planning ideas through. And I think for sure, for instance, she's not going to get a freeze on benefits through either. Mm. There are so many Tory MPs from all wings of the party. When you've got Nadine Doris, 
saying publicly that you're too right wing, you know you're in trouble. <laughs> yes, just a bit on the speech. And I noticed that she lashed out at people like us yeah. at one point, podcasters and broadcasters, who she lumped in with the enemies of enterprise and the anti-growth coalition, which included Labour and the Lib Dems, the unions, environmental activists and things. Mm. Is this the new anti-woke brigade or citizens of nowhere or metropolitan elite? How many times yeah. are they going to try and pick a scapegoat? I think she was trying to do multiple things for that. She was obviously trying to distract from the fiasco of the budget. She was also trying to tap into some of the populist feeling that we've that's animated British politics over the past 10 years. Mm. The reason I don't think that's going to work is to be a populist, you have to be in some respects popular. And there aren't many popular policies that Truss is advocating. And Andrew, you wrote, mm. wrote about this in your piece this week, that some of the more popular policies that brought about Brexit, lower Im immigration, higher public spending, more money for the NHS, are complete opposite of what Liz Truss is now proposing. Right. Yes, I think there were different versions of Brexit, yeah. Brexit, really in the minds of the Brexiteers themselves. I think in the country there was a kind of small-c conservative idea of Brexit. Let's go back a little bit. Let's have a, a slightly more ordered, kinder, gentler, and frankly, whiter country. Yeah, golf, club Brexit. Got golf club Brexit, exactly. 19th hole Brexit. And then a relatively small group of real free market radicals as our colleague Jeremy Cliff wrote so brilliant in the magazine, coming out of the Tufton Street think tanks, the IEA and the Taxpayers Alliance and so forth, whose idea was, no, Brexit gives us an opportunity to make a radical break yeah. with the sort of social democratic consensus of the 20th century, and we can go roaring ahead, let the markets kind of rule, let's have a more Americanized, faster moving, as it were, less reliable country. That emphasis on change and disruption, which Liz Truss talks about, let's have more disruption. Now, that group, I think, was quite small originally inside the Conservative Party, quite small inside the Brexit movement, but mm. bit by bit in the extraordinary politics that we've seen since, frankly, David Cameron, the fall of David Cameron, then the torture and the nightmare of Theresa May, and then the Boris Johnson years and the intervention of Mm. COVID and so forth, and now into what's happened since. That small revolutionary group has taken more and more power and is now in, I was going to say complete power, but of course it's not in complete power because if it can't get its legislation through, it has very little power at all. And you wrote in your cover story this week for this week's New Statesman that this version of the Brexit revolution is now eating its children, Liz Truss and Kwati Kwarteng being its... They really, I, you almost feel sorry for them. <laughs> you can see they don't, their faces, they can't quite understand why everything is going wrong quite so quickly. They can't understand why they're not surrounded by genuinely enthusiastic party members on all sides. And they certainly can't understand why they're, when they're told they're not going to get this thing through. And the markets, they've always loved the markets. And look how the markets are treating them now. <laughs> very poor behaviour by the markets, I would say. Very ungenerous, <laughs> unkind. Well, I've been speaking to some people, particularly on low incomes, part-time work, on universal credit, mm. to hear their reactions to how the speech and also the general sort of mayhem has been coming across. They've just felt that it's been completely detached from reality, some of the things that Liz Truss has been mm. speaking about. I spoke to one NHS worker who works part-time. She's a single mum. And she was saying that every day she's so stressed about money that she thinks that's one more day down, another day ahead. She can't think, she can't enjoy her life. She can't think ahead. She was saying it was surviving, not living. And that's that's to do with not just this hanging over them that yeah. benefits might not go up with inflation, which, Andrew, I yeah. think you're right, they probably wouldn't manage to get that through anyway. But there was also a change in the mini-budget to benefits 
more sanctions for people if they don't spend longer hours looking for work or higher paid work. Well, Six hours. They're now in week. this trap where if they're going to calm the markets and reassure international investors and money is stopping coming into the UK at the moment, if they're going to do that, they have to convince the markets that they have control over spending on in long term. That means some kind of cuts. And we've talked about welfare, yeah. but also departmental budgets. If they pull departmental budgets down during a period of inflation, that's a real terms cut. That will be felt by schools, it'll be felt by the criminal justice system and the police, and it'll be felt by the NHS. And that is another of the big problems coming I think, ahead this winter. Yeah, so it's going to get even more unpopular once they set out the consequences of the mini-budget. I think also it's an omission of failure. We've spoken about this before, but as soon as they say, actually, we can't fund these tax cuts through growth, we have to fund them through public spending cuts then it completely undermines their whole argument. This whole time has been, well, don't worry about it because uh, we're going to have the growth. Yeah. Do you have growth work. if you start cutting infrastructure projects and investment? Well, exactly. Because it will be taking money out of capital budgets to put into day-to-day -day spending on things like I mean, the NHS. I, I would say in crude terms, yeah. the analysis that she's got is right. We are too low growth. Like lots of Western countries, we have allowed ourselves to become less innovative, less hardworking in some respects in terms of productivity. That's not because of workers, that's because of capital and management as much as anything else. But there is a problem in the economy. It's been there for long term and it does need to be resolved. I just think looking at her answers, the analysis is fine. The response is not. I think that's completely right. But we've got to remember that Labour have been talking about growth for a long time. Back in July, Starmer had a speech where he said his three priorities were growth, growth, growth. And then Liz Truss just appropriated that term. So the political debate at the moment is on growth. It's about how you achieve that. And if we see the numbers not come through for trust over the next three months or four months or so, people will start looking even more towards Starmer's package. I think, actually, is this the way that we're going to achieve yeah. growth? Yes, Andrew, we haven't spoken to you about your reflections on Labour conference yet. So I just wondered how well, you felt that went. We talk about conference season. Mm. And I think there's an element in which one conference is always balanced against another. It's a story of multiple conferences. Mm. And of course, the poor Lib Dems didn't have their conference yeah. this year because of the death of the Queen. But there could not have been a greater contrast between the Labour conference, patriotism, discipline, order, organisation and policy yeah. and what happened at the Tory. Liz Truss said in her speech the Labour Party had no policies anymore. That's absolutely not true. If you look at the great British energy and you look at their plans for a green industrial revolution and you look at their plans on house building, there's a lot of policy actually in Keir Starmer's speech. I thought it was one of the best leaders' speeches I have heard for many years, possibly decades, and was a pivot in terms of the national conversation. I think it was the moment when you could suddenly see that Labour is almost certainly heading for power. We were waiting to see if the Conservatives had a really robust response at their conference, and the best that Liz Truss could come up with was the anti-growth coalition. It's not a bad phrase. I can see it on people's T-shirts. If you add together the kind of North London intelligentsia, three people, as it were, the trade union movement, all the members and supporters of the opposition parties and everybody who doesn't like Brexit. Well, you have a large majority of the entire country, which is her problem politically. And that's what the opinion polls are showing. Yes. And one last thing which MPs on both sides actually say is the word growth doesn't necessarily mean much to the ordinary voter. Yeah. I mean, what does it mean? I mean, people are facing on yeah. average £1,000 up on their mortgage repayments. Yeah. I wrote about this in today's morning call. When politicians talk about GDP or GNI mm. or CPI or RPI, they don't mean much to normal people. What growth means is you have more money in your pocket. It means you have higher wages. It means prices are slightly more stable. It means you can afford your mortgage. And if we don't see those things come about, 
then the growth message completely mm. falls apart. Yeah. And to be fair to Liz Trust, because we are a fair-minded publication yeah. always, actually, that what the one bit of her speech when she said, mm. I grew up in Paisley <laughs> and in Leeds in the 80s and 90s, of course, much of that Conservative Party period, yeah. and there wasn't enough growth, and what that meant was people didn't couldn't feed their families properly. She then gave a very real-world example mm. of what the lack of growth actually felt like. I thought that bit was quite Yeah, good. and we also yeah. learned quite a bit about her political motivation as well. She mm. spoke about being belittled as a northern woman and how she's always seen herself as a bit of an outsider. So I think that you can see that play through right now, I think. Hi, it's Anoush here. This is just a reminder that as a podcast listener, you have the option of subscribing to the New Statesman with a very special offer. You can subscribe for just a pound a week. That's 12 weeks for £12. If you go to newstatesman.com forward slash podcast offer. We'll be right back. From the New Statesman comes a new podcast, Audio Long Reads. The best of our reported features and essays, read aloud. Featuring writing from our authors, including Edward Docks on the death of Boris the Clown. When did the booing start? He was never exactly sure. A year inside GB News with Stuart McGurk. One presenter told me that producers had taken to booking their own parents. May Robson on why women's football is the more beautiful game. Like most of the England squad, the Euro 2022 captain Leah Williamson can't afford not to have a plan B. Ease into the weekend with our audio long reads published every Saturday morning. Just search audio long reads from the New Statesman wherever you get your podcasts. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And now it's time for a section we like to call... You Ask Us. We have a question today from an anonymous listener who asks, I'm someone who voted for Starmer in the leadership contest, but then became massively alienated by him, abandoning his 10 pledges. Now he seems to be turning left again. Can I trust him this time? So this is a reference to Keir Starmer's 10 leadership pledges, which generally seem to have been as a more left-wing agenda than he's implemented as party leader, including things like income tax on the top 5% of earners, rail, mail, energy and water in public hands, defending free movement, which he has since abandoned, and working shoulder to shoulder with trade unions. Andrew, I remember you pinned him on this in one of your mm. programmes fairly recently, I went through it. And indeed, he has ditched those things. Yeah. He, it's part of moving the party so fast, so far. It has been an extraordinarily speedy journey and he doesn't get enough credit for it. He's using credit's the right word. I don't think he has moved left particularly again in his speech. I thought it was a very bold, aggressive, assertive grab of the centre yeah. ground. Here we have a Labour leader talking about the importance of home ownership. Wanting to get home ownership up to 70%. 
talking about the importance of secure borders and controlled immigration, talking about the importance of making Brexit work. And this was a very audacious grab for the centre ground. I think he's doing that because I think that's where he thinks he's going to win the election. I think we see this strain of Labour patriotism, something would not have surprised Jim Callaghan, who served in the Royal Navy, or Harold Wilson, who was very keen on the royal family and patriotism, or indeed Dennis Healy. That generation of Labour Party people appealed to working class voters very much on the basis of patriotism. That is back inside the Labour Party family as a core value after Jeremy Corbyn years. I thought this was a very cleverly, well-structured, substantial speech by somebody who's going to fight an election quite soon, but I don't think it was a left-wing one. So I agree with that. I agree that the pitch and the style is more of a centrist pitch, but I do think there are some sort of left-wing nuggets in the Labour Party's programme that they've managed to quite cleverly disguise. Hopefully this can reassure our listener who seems to be more mm. of the left, but things like renationalisation of the railways, actually, yep. lots yes. of them are already in public hands, so it's not so much of a radical policy, but it's something that was sort of red meat to those more left-wing members. a big roar of a yes, absolutely. Even the Tories are going to have to look at that, are yeah. looking at that, a yeah. version of that. Yeah. yeah, so that's quite clever. And I thought the publicly owned energy producer, the green, Great British Energy, as they yeah. called it, was quite clever as well, because it was a sop to people who want to see yes. energy back in public hands, but it wasn't completely renationalising the industry. And you also have the Future of Work programme, which nobody ever speaks about, but that actually empowers mm. trade unions a lot more, bringing, up, bringing them up to date with modern working practices like flexible working mm. and home working. So I do think there is a left-wing agenda under that. And equally, there are people in in and around the leader's office who are who are worried about Ed Miliband, for example, his impact and his influence in Keir Starmer's agenda and his fingerprints were all over that Certainly. party conference speech, who are worried that he's dragging him more towards the left, a Milibandian left, if you, if you like. So I do think for the people who feel a little bit betrayed by Keir Starmer, there is something there, but he's being careful in terms of his mm. presentation to the country because he knows he has to win in that middle ground. Yeah, I agree with that. You're never going to get Keir Starmer touting the most left policies yeah. within the party's platform. So that, I agree, gives hope and you have to look for them a little more specifically. However, I would also say we don't yet know what their platform is going to be. Mm. Speak to people in Starmer's office or elsewhere on Reeves' team or others. They say, OK, we don't know where the economy is going to be in two years' time. And mm. that's when they're going to have to look at their fiscal rules. They're going to look at how much money they have and then they'll decide their true policy platform. What I would say is we just had some exclusive polling back from Redfield and Wilton, the mm. polling company, and it suggests that even if they move away from the left, they're not <laughs> going to necessarily lose their existing voters. So we polled 2019 Labour voters and they were saying that actually when asked to compare themselves with the Labour leaders' politics, they chose, on the whole, just as left-wing yeah. as I am. And they also identified him as most like Tony Blair in terms of past Labour leaders. But there was still that popularity there. So I think there is there is this sense probably among Starmer and his team that they can move to the centre ground without losing too much of their existing support. Yeah, and it is his team. And we were talking about before, mm. it's very important for Starmer to be able to let his shadow cabinet go out there because they have they do have a diversity of views and... Some of them can speak to some part electorate and others others. It's very important for him to hang back and let mm. them have their thing. I think the way he's trying to present himself, you said Tony Blair. Mm. I think the way he would like to present himself is take Harold Wilson and Tony Blair and put them into a magic mix. <laughs> what would come out is Keir Starmer. So you know, what is, he's trying to blend the two a little bit, I think. Mm. But no, take your point. There are some, there is a bit of red meat there for the left. But I interviewed John McDonnell during the Labour conference, for instance. And I said, why have you gone all quiet? Where, where are your people? You've all gone quietly. <laughs> Zip your lips. You don't have any... Said, above all, he said, above all, we all think 
that a slightly disappointing Labour government is so much better than any Tory government. Right. And we are now heading for an election quite soon. We know, we understand discipline. I thought that was quite an interesting answer. Mm, very conciliatory of yeah. McDonald there. Thanks so much, both of you. And hopefully you can get some sleep later. <laughs> Thanks, you know, <laughs> <we'll> try. <laughs> and now there's a new easier way to submit your questions for the You Ask Us section. You don't have to email us anymore. You can just go to newstatesman.com forward slash you ask us on our website and submit your question there. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Anoush Shekelian, and my colleagues, Freddie Hayward and Andrew Marr. We're produced by Adrian Bradley, and our music is Devil with the Devil, licensed under Creative Commons. Thanks so much for listening, and don't forget to leave us a nice review and subscribe. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.